0: Well, we are on a journey of growth uh, as followers of Jesus and as a church. And uh, last uh, couple of weeks, we've been looking at prayer and how prayer is an essential ingredient to grow as followers of Christ and an essential ingredient for us to grow as the church. In Acts chapter 12, verse 5, our passage today, the scripture says that even while Peter was in prison, the church Was offering constant prayer to God. You might say, well, how do you preach a message on that one thing? Well, uh, we're going to live the message today. Not just preach it, we're actually going to live it. I shared with you last week that I want to encourage you to come ready to pray. And I know uh, even though it seems a little bit abnormal, it shouldn't be. This is the gathering where we should be praying. And even though we are so often used to uh, sitting and listening and taking notes of a sermon, worship is not about us being spectators of what's happening upon a platform. Worship, corporate worship, the worship that we are to have as we gather together is participation. There is a spectator, but that's God in heaven, not you on earth or me on earth. And so we are going to participate together. Now, uh, when I say we're going to pray together, I mean we are going to pray. And uh, we're going to do that in uh, different uh, different ways over the next few minutes. Before we do that, this is kind of priming the pump. And I know that's probably not a spiritual way to say it, but that's kind of what... I know this is uncomfortable for many of you because it's not something you normally do. Uh, to pray publicly in this place but I'm going to invite you to pray publicly uh, and we're going to take the easiest way as followers of Christ to get together and pray publicly we're going to begin in the easiest fashion when Jesus prayed he said uh, and when he taught us to pray he said here's how you should pray our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth As it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those uh, who are debtors to us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. In that prayer, that model prayer that Jesus taught, uh, we see that the beginning of that prayer is praise. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So in these next few moments, what I'm going to encourage us to do as we enter into a season of prayer, I'm going to encourage you to, uh, in a, a sentence or two, in public fashion, praise the Lord. This is prayer, praising the Lord. So uh, in order to help us get into the posture of and the attitude of prayer, uh, I'm going to start and I'm going to invite you to join me. And when I'm not speaking, then it gives you an opportunity right now to praise the Lord. All right. So let's all pray together. And by the way, you don't have to close your eyes when you pray. If that helps, that's good. Uh, If you want to lift your hands in prayer, that's fine. If you want to kneel where you are, that's fine. Uh, When you pray, and especially now, when you give praise to the Lord, do it with a voice as loud as you can muster so that the whole body of believers can, in, can uh, participate and join you in that praise. All right? So let's enter into a season of prayer. Father, you are holy and righteous, and we worship you. Now may your people in prayer praise your name. man. Well, as we look at this passage, by the way, we're not through praying. That was priming the pump. And it primed it. All right, OK. Uh, Acts chapter 12, verse five, we see the circumstances, the context for the church praying. Uh, Peter was in prison. Uh, before he was placed in prison, James, the son of Zebedee, the brother of John the apostle, James was killed by Herod. And so Herod is this uh, big bad wolf prowling around Jerusalem, imprisoning the leaders of the church. And the church had to figure out what she was going to do, how she was going to respond. Certainly, you would imagine that there were some who had gathered there with uh, the other uh, followers of Christ in Jerusalem, that church in Jerusalem. You would imagine that there were some who were uh, calling for people to be cautious, uh, to be less out loud about their faith, to to settle into a more privatized walk with Christ, to to not stir up so much contention and stress. After all, Peter's in prison, and if they say the wrong thing, Herod might kill him straight away. Certainly, if church in Jerusalem was anything like church in Norfolk. You had that movement in the church. Let's play it safe. Let's keep it quiet. Let's hold back. Let's, let's not risk any longer. But the church in Jerusalem didn't call a business meeting to vote on it because God had already made plain the path that they must walk. And so they gathered together praying together so that they might fulfill the mission that God had given them. God has given the church of every generation the same mission. And that mission is to shine the light of his gospel to people who are far from him so that they might find life in Jesus Christ, to grow them up as followers of Jesus, making disciples of all people of every tongue, tribe, and nation And so that those who are brought into faith in Jesus Christ and who are growing up in their faith in Jesus Christ might in turn also share Jesus Christ with others. This is the mission of the church and it hadn't changed. It it still is our mission. No matter your acceptance or rejection of it, this is the Bible. And it is absolute truth. The purpose of First Baptist Church Norfolk is simple, not complicated. We are to help those who are far from God find life in Jesus Christ by whatever God honoring, glorifying means at our disposal. And we are not to back up, regardless of threats from without or within. We are not to hesitate. We are not to shrink into the shadows, but we are to stand tall, even as the church in Jerusalem showed us. And so, for us to fulfill the mission that God has given us, we need to pray and pray as Jesus did, pray as the disciples did, pray as the church in the first century did. Prayer, the prayer that they prayed and the prayer that we must pray. This prayer walks the path that God has paved. And this prayer walks toward the future that God has made. Prayer walks the path that God has paved. And prayer walks toward the future that God has made. In verse 5 of chapter 12, the scripture says that the disciples, the, the, the church, was, was offering prayers. The language of, uh, of that sentence, was offering prayers, shows that it wasn't just a, a momentary minute. It was an ongoing journey. It was something that they were persistent to do. They were faithfully striving to wrap their hearts and their minds around the will of God. As they looked at the path before them, they were praying so that their hearts and their minds might be saturated with that path, knowing that it was and is God's will. It's the same thing that we see Jesus doing in the prayer Just before his passion, just before his arrest and crucifixion. That prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus, kneeling before God the Father, says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus, in fervent, constant prayer, set his gaze upon the path That God had paved for him and as he prayed he was wrapping his humanity around the horror of that path make no mistake the path that God has for us to walk many times is a path that is marked by struggle and suffering even sorrow and pain There is a path in the Smoky Mountains that leads to a beautiful waterfall. And uh, to make that journey, there are many trails in the Smokies that lead to waterfalls. One that I'm thinking of is the Abrams Creek Trail that leads uh, to uh, the Abrams Creek Falls. And in order to make that journey, you have to commit yourself to walk the path. And the path is not always easy. In order to make it to the waterfall, you have to set your gaze upon that path and you have to walk up two ridges over two sides of, of the mountains there. You have to survive the slippery rocks and the broken uh, uh, steps uh, leading up those mountains and the, uh, the, the, the twigs and the and the mud, and and the root system, in the narrow path. You've you've got to make your way across a narrow footbridge, across a, a mountain stream. But if you stay fixed on the path, then you will experience the beauty of the waterfall. Jesus looked upon the path, and he understood that the horror of the path, the pain of the path, was going to lead him to the future that God had set for him. Jesus saw the path that God had paved. And he saw the future that God was taking him. And in prayer, he set his focus upon that path toward that future. In the same way, the first church looked at the path that they had to take. They had to fulfill God's mission. Jesus did what he did in order to fulfill God's purpose of giving eternal life to the lost, to the wandering, to you, to me. Jesus did what he did to bring glory to God and to rescue a sinner like you. Aren't you glad? Jesus walked the path that God had paved toward the future that God had made. The first church Determined to walk in the steps of Jesus in the same way. They looked at the big bad wolf of Herod, chomping and threatening and offering nothing but trouble and pain for followers of Jesus. And so they began to pray. They saw the pain in their path, but they looked beyond the pain and they saw God's purpose. And the future that God had made for them. The scripture says that they were offering prayers to God, but there's a little adverb in there, constant, fervent." In the new King James, it says, "constant." In other translation, it says fervent." The, the picture of that adverb is focus." You see, the first church in order to fulfill their mission, they had to be focused on the right thing. And that was the future that God had made for them. Just as Jesus looked beyond the obstacle of the cross and saw the opportunity of the resurrection, you and I, the first church, we must look beyond the obstacle of the pain and the suffering that this path that God has paid for us presents before us. And we must look and fix our gaze upon the future. If we don't do that, then the temptation will be for us to turn the passion prayer of Jesus on its head. You see, what happens is when we focus on the wrong thing, when we set our gaze on the wrong thing, then we become focused on self, on our own interests, on our own desires. And and as followers of Jesus, when when we see the path that God has paved for us, and, and it includes some things that make us uncomfortable, the temptation will be for us to say, not your will, O Lord, but mine be done. And turn the prayer of Jesus on its head. The temptation for the church in the first century or the 21st century is to elevate what I want above what God wants where I say not what you want oh Lord but what I want that's what we're going to do God we're going to pursue what I want at the expense of what you want but we're still going to call ourselves a church we're still going to pretend like we're spiritual we're going to still pretend like we're doing your work we're not we're playing a game We're being hypocrites. We're filled with pharisaical spirit. You see, when we turn the passion prayer on its head and say, Lord, the most important thing is what I want. then we've made an idol of ourselves. And we've ignored what God has said. That's not prayer, by the way. That's just plain out rebellion. And no matter how many ways we can cloak it in our own personal language of Zion, it's still just rebellion. The prayer that God is calling us to pursue is a prayer of faith and faithfulness that says, Not my will, but yours be done, Lord. It's going to cost me something. It means i got to give up stuff. It means i got to park at the Cogar Center and not in a place of prominence here on this parking lot. But not my will. Yours be done. It means I give up a, a prime parking location for a guest who doesn't know Jesus. And I walk from a distant land to come here. Because we know that God's will is to help those who are far from him find life in Jesus Christ. Not my will, but yours be done. Today, we need to walk the path that God has paved. And what helps us do that is to see the future that he has made. With Clear, focus, not on self, but on holy God. We set our gaze upon the beauty of fulfilling His will, the privilege of honoring Him with our lives, the joy of serving our King, our God, our Savior, our Lord. Do you feel it? Will you live it? Prayer takes us on this wondrous journey where we walk the path that God has paid toward the future that God has made. Jesus endured the cross, despising its shame. But he knew that a resurrection was on its way. Prayer helps us see the victory. Sets our focus on the person who is that victory? You see, the future that has been made for us is marked by the victory of Jesus being raised from the dead so that you and I can live in victory. The journey may be painful, but the waterfall is beautiful. So when we pray the prayer of faith and we walk that path that God has paved toward the future that God has made. Then we can be certain that this prayer is a catalyst for rescue. Not only rescue for us, but rescue for sinners lost in the darkness of their sin. You look at verse 7. The angel is already on his way as the people of God are praying. Prayer throughout Scripture is a catalyst for rescue. God's rescuing love, reaching those who are in prison physically, physically, Metaphorically or spiritually, prayer is a catalyst for rescue. If you need rescue today, then pray the prayer of faith. Walk the path that God has paved, even if it means your own suffering, toward the future that God has made, because there's where the victory resides. Prayer has always been a catalyst for rescue, and prayer has always been a catalyst for growth for us individually individually as followers of Christ. When we pray this prayer that walks the path that God has paved and toward the future that God has made, it is a catalyst for growth in us because it it calls us to submit to what God says, not exalt what we want. And that is growing. That's growing. Growing. You see, your maturity in mine as a follower of Jesus is not measured in how many years you've been part of a church. It's how many moments and days and years you spend submitting yourself to the will of God. That's the measure of maturity. Prayer walks us down the path that God has paved toward the future that God has made... And it leads to our growth. If you look down in Acts 12, verse 24, it says that the word of God grew and multiplied. Friends, what leads the church to grow is a body of believers where the word of God has grown and exploded in us. Not in our heads, but in our hearts, where we've committed ourselves to submit ourselves daily to God's holy word, where we care more about the text Than the traditions that we embrace, where we care more about the mission than the music that we sing, where we care more about what God wants than what we prefer. When we get there, that's when the church grows. Now, how do we get there? We pray. We pray. We pray. So let's pray. In the next few moments, I'm just going to encourage you to pray. Even as we offered our praise to God, I want to encourage you to pray as God has laid it upon your heart. Maybe you need to pray for someone around you. Maybe you need to pray for yourself. Maybe you need to pray publicly for our church. Maybe you need to follow the, the, the 21 days of prayer, this prayer card, and, and, and look at it and pray these prayers that. that that we need to pray together as a family of faith, starting this second week of of our 21 days of prayer. But in these next few moments, as God has given you liberty, as God by His Spirit has, has shown you, will you pray? And if He gives you the opportunity and the calling, will you pray out loud? Again, pray boldly and clearly and as loud as God gives you permission to pray so that others might join in that prayer. You can come to this altar, you can stay where you are, you can stand, you can sit, you can kneel. But one thing you must do is in your heart be in a posture of prayer. Prayer walks the road, the path that God has paved toward the future that God has made. Let's pray. Father, in these moments, lead your people to pray, may we fervently, with focused hearts, offer our prayers to you, even now. Now, Father, as you hear your people praying, as we lift our voices to you, may you call us and draw us into that deeper life with you. Not filled with deeper knowledge, but the deeper life that's filled with a deeper level of submission and obedience to you. May we understand maturity as followers of Jesus and what that really means. That we would live our lives not turning the passion prayer of Jesus on its head, but that we would live our lives declaring, not my will, but yours be done, O Lord. Thank you for giving us the prayer of faith and faithfulness that we might walk the path that you have paved toward the future that you have made. God, I pray this for our church. I pray this for my life. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I just want you to know that there are going to be...